0: I have a lot to cover this morning, a lot of important material. And um, unfortunately, is on a, a weekend that you've lost an hour's sleep, all right? So you're going to need to keep pinching yourself as uh, we go through this message this morning. But uh, I am full of God's Word this morning, and I just pray that I'm going to be clear as I share it with you. If you have your Bibles, look at... Uh, Genesis chapter 14, and uh, this monitor is really loud, Kenny. I don't know what's going on here. But uh, if you can take my voice out of this, that will help me to be more clear, okay? Yeah, that's that's better. All right, Genesis chapter 14, and uh, we're going to look at verses 17 through 23 this morning. Last week, we looked at Abram going to war and, and rescuing his... Um, his nephew Lot, and all who are with him. And uh, now Abram is coming back with the spoils of that war, and uh, he's going to be going through a test, another test. You know, it's just amazing how God is in, this, in our walk of faith, that uh, there are always tests before us. And we've seen Abram... Uh, fail a test already, and uh, we've seen Abram pass a test, and we're going to see Abram passing another test this morning. And so let's uh, begin with verse 17. After his return, after Abram's return from the defeat of uh, Chedorlaomer, I should have uh, spent some time pronouncing that word. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him, Kisledek, a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you would say, I have made Abram rich. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Abram's life. Thank you for his example to us and us. And, uh, Lord, this encounter, this incredible counter with Melchizedek that's only three verses long, but has so much profound truth for us who are followers of Christ this morning. God, be our teacher. Uh, be our guide. Open our eyes to your truth this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message in a nutshell is this Jesus is our sovereign king and our sympathetic high priest at the same time. And, church, we need to understand that because this has tremendous ramifications for those, for all of us who go through hard times. Jesus is our sovereign king. He is over every single detail of our life. And oftentimes that is difficult. It is trying, and we're thinking to ourselves, where is God? He is the God who hides. But the God who hides has a purpose in his hiddenness that's leading us to Salvation to a greater understanding of who He is. He is our sovereign King, and at the same time, He is our sympathetic High Priest. He understands what you're going through because He's gone through it Himself. And He is there to help. And He is listening in our time of need. So please don't forget that. Because that's what we see through this passage of Scripture and now how it is illustrated through, through the rest of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So here's Abram, coming back from war. He's got all of these possessions. I mean, he, he's, um, he's looking really good. And I can identify... With where Abram is in this passage of scripture. Because, you know, when I go fishing, there's this one place in particular I like to fish. It's, it's Silver Lake. It's on the June Lake Loop. And uh, when I've had a good day of fishing, and uh, I've got a big stringer of fish, you know, what I'll do is I'll get my boat back on the trailer and then I'll take my stringer of fish, and there's a walk that I have to do. Susan understands this walk. And uh, it's either a walk of pride or a walk of shame. But I've got to take this stringer of fish, and I've got to go across the, the boat parking lot, and then I've got to go into the campground that's across the street. And I tell you what, when I have a stringer of Big fish, lots of fish, all eyes are upon me. Whoa, what a great day you had! And you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty proud. I'm f- feeling pretty good. And that's the walk of pride. But then there are lots of days where I'm taking the walk of shame. Okay, where I've maybe just caught one fish, <laughs> and that. Draws attention to nobody. And uh, I'm feeling rather humble. I'm feeling rather poor. So here's Abraham. And uh, he's coming back with all these spoils. He is the victor. And uh, he's probably feeling pretty good, pretty confident about himself. And uh, in this passage of Scripture, again, he's tested by two kings. One is King Sodom and the other is King Melchizedek. Uh, King Sodom he doesn't he doesn't want to give he doesn't give Abram anything. He wants something from Abram. Okay? But with Melchizedek Melchizedek comes out and he has he has wine and he has bread. And he has a blessing for Abram. Um, Melchizedek, we see, he is the king of the God Most High. He is the priest of the God Most High, and he blesses Abram. And Abram knows exactly who Melchizedek represents. Uh, he's received this blessing from the God Most High, uh, the King of Salem, and, and Abram gives Melchizedek a tithe of all of his possessions, of what he's coming back uh, from victory uh, having accomplished. Abram gives Melchizedek a, a, a tithe because Abram knows Who Melchizedek is. He is representing the God Most High. And Sodom, the king of Sodom, you know, he says, you know what? You just give me the people and you can have the rest. And Abram doesn't want to have anything to do with Sodom, King Sodom. He says, Abram says, listen, it all comes back to you. It's yours. I don't want any of this because I don't want people to think that um, by, by me taking things from you that somehow you have been, been the victor in my life. It's because of you that I have won the victory. Abram knew that it was God who gave Abram the victory over the enemy. And so Abram doesn't want to give King Sodom any credit whatsoever. So Abram ties to Michiel's deck because he knows that it is God who made him victorious. And then he gives all the other possessions back to Sodom, which were his in the first place. Um and so before we get into the rest of the message I want to talk a little bit about tithing first for you know church for those who are obedient to the Lord's work here in this place and are are generous to the Lord's ministry who hear messages on tithing these messages aren't offensive For they know that all that has been entrusted to them comes from God. It all belongs to God. And so giving back to the Lord's work 10% or generously beyond 10%, that is not an issue for those who are mature in Jesus Christ. But for those who find tithing offensive and are very possessive of their possessions. They look at their possessions as having they themselves accomplished. I mean, they are self-made. This is something that they have done. And why should what they have accomplished, what they have accumulated, why should that go back to God? And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that everything that we have, all of our abilities, all of our accomplishments, all of our our knowledge, all of our skills, this is all the gift and the grace of God in our life. And our life belongs to Him. Abram understood this. Abram coming back from battle, hearing uh, Michalzadek's blessing over Abram, Abram knew that he wasn't able. Abram was, he just had 318 men and, and a few other friends that had joined them, and he went up against four different kings. I mean, he was in the w- way in the minority, and yet God gave Abram the victory. So if you struggle with tithing, just understand that God has given you these things. God has blessed you with these things, and he just wants you to give back to him a tenth. You know, I was trying to teach this concept to my daughter, my youngest daughter, Emily, in McDonald's one day. Uh, when she was growing up, she loved chicken nuggets. And she would always order the 10-piece meal. And I was looking at Emily one day, eating those chicken nuggets, and they were looking pretty good. And I said, Emily, can I just have can I have one of those? You know what she did? She said, No. They're mine. Emily, I just want one. No, they're mine. I know what you guys are thinking, okay? You know, Pastor, you don't need a chicken nugget. <laughs> but that's not the point I'm trying to get across here. You know, as her dad, I had I had the ability to buy her Ten, ten pieces chicken nuggets, you know? she I could have bought her all that she wanted. But I was just wanting one chicken nugget. You know, that's the way it is with God. He just wants us to entrust Him with our possessions and just give ten percent back. One-tenth. And, you know, when we grow in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is 10% isn't hard and we want to become even more generous to the Lord's work God wants us to be cheerful givers and if we choose if we choose to be stingy and rob God not give back to him what he deserves you know what he's going to take it one way or the other look at malachi chapter 3 malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 12 will a man will man rob god you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you he says in your tithes and contributions you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me The whole nation of you, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you, So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. When we give to the Lord's work, there are ways that God gives back to us intangibly that money cannot buy. You know, Susan and I have been faithful with um, what God has trusted uh, with us for these last 40 years. God has blessed us in ways that money can't buy these things. God has allowed things in our home to far outlast their typical life cycle. And that's That's our faithful God. And if we choose to be stingy, if we choose to hold on to our possessions, there's a devourer who is going to take what you should have been giving to God in the first place. God's going to get it one way or another. And I just want to encourage you to do it God's way. Maybe you're here, you're thinking to yourself, you know, Pastor, I know tithing is an important principle, but I just can't afford to tithe right now. I want you to know that you can't afford not to tithe. God will make you a far better steward with what he's entrusted to you if you entrust him, if you give him that first 10% off the top. Abram understood this. And Abram gave back to God. Now, having said that, there is just so much more to be shared in this passage of Scripture this morning. Again, I want you to see that Jesus, through the life of Melchizedek, Jesus is our sovereign king and our sympathetic High priest. There's only three verses, but in these three verses, we're going to see the superiority of Christ. Now, concerning Melchizedek, who is Melchizedek? Some people want to say that he was an angel. Others want to say that he was uh, a pre-incarnate Christ. But I want you to know this morning that. Nechilzedek was neither of those two. He was an historical king. And we don't have any um, ancestry. We don't have any uh, um, uh, lineage on this, this king of Salem. But what the scripture says here. And it's important that we don't have that because it helps us to see that that this type is a type of the Christ, the Jesus, um, who is illustrated in, the, in this passage of Scripture. Melchizedek is a picture of the real Jesus Christ. Now, David understood this passage of Scripture in Psalm 100. Um, you might remember that uh, David, king the second king of uh, Israel, Uh, God promised that David would have a son who would uh, reign on David's throne forever. There was going to be somebody in his line that was going to be king, and he was going to rule on his throne forever. And that person is Jesus Christ, okay? Um, But in Psalm 110, David writes a psalm um, speaking about his future son. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 110. I want to read verses 1 and verse 4. Verse 1 says, this is David speaking, writing, he says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, who are the Lords in this passage of Scripture? There's the capital L-O-R-D, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You know what? That is Jehovah God. That is Yahweh. And so the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord. Who is the my Lord? Well, who is the my? The my is David. And then the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that is David's son, who happens to be David's Lord as well, Adonai. Okay? So Yahweh is saying to David's, Adonai, David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh is making Adonai king. And Adonai is to sit at the right hand of our Heavenly Father, Jehovah God. Okay? That's verse 1. And then verse 4 says this, The Lord Yahweh has sworn... And will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, speaking about Adonai in verse one. You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. And so, Jesus, our King, is also our priest and God has appointed Jesus to be both king and priest after the order of Melchizedek, because this is what's happened in Melchizedek's life as well. God, the Most High God, has appointed the king of Salem, Melchizedek, to be both king and and priest in Genesis chapter 14 it is God who has done that and it is God who has done that in the life of Christ and David gives testimony in Psalm 110 and every time there was a, an, an Israel king or a, a Judah king that would um, um, be anointed and take the throne This was a song that would be sung during that ceremony. That there is a king coming. There is a priest coming that is going to rule and reign on the throne of David for all eternity. Our Jesus church is both king and priest. There's no other king that could take on this dual role. It was only Jesus Christ. Now, Melchizedek is king of Salem. Uh, Salem is, um, well, I don't want to get ahead ahead of myself. Melchizedek is king of Salem, and he's also priest of the Most High God. And I've already mentioned that. Now, this is what David says. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're questioning Jesus. Jesus, who are you? You're, you know, I I think you're just the son of David. And they're just seeing Jesus for his humanity. He's just really one of them. But Jesus says this in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord is has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Verse 46, And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone (laughs) dare to ask him any more questions. They didn't have the answer to that question. Jesus is not only the son of David, but Jesus is also David's Lord. And Yahweh has given Jesus that title. And so we see Jesus as both king, he's king of righteousness. And he's also king of peace, and he's our eternal priest of the Most High God. And we're going to get into that as we look at the um, passages in Hebrews. Okay, so we're going to go to Hebrews now. Um, We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but uh, the author of Hebrews wanted to to, um, encourage the Jews because they were undergoing great persecution. And it's going to get even worse. This is before uh, the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Things are bad. But here is the author of Hebrews. He's wanting to, he's wanting to encourage the, the believing Jews who are undergoing persecution. And he's also wanting to address the skeptical Jews who highly doubt Jesus. You know, and highly doubt Christianity. I mean, Christianity doesn't have a high priest. How can it be a legitimate religion? And so the author of Hebrews is looking at this story, these three verses in Genesis chapter 14. He's looking at David's words in Psalm chapter 110. And Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22, and he's going to tie all this together to show um, the Jews that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament, that Jesus is superior to the temple. Jesus is superior to the sacrifices. Jesus is superior to the Levitical priests and Jesus is the great high priest that has been called by God and who sits upon the throne of glory. He is both the sovereign king and he is the sympathetic high priest. And you can trust him. He is there for you. And so if you were to go back and if you were to to um, read verse, Uh, Hebrews chapters 5 through 10. Um, He's really addressing um, the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. And I want to encourage you to do that. But he's encouraging these Jewish believers and it all originates with Genesis 14, verses 17 through 23. Amazing. Those three verses in particular. We have a high priest church of the same order as Melchizedek. Now, look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, I'm going to just summarize verses 1 through 10. I want to encourage you to go home and read it, okay? It will be be an encouragement uh, to you. But um, let me just say this, Okay. When he's writing to the Jews, the Jews are getting tired. Um, they're getting weary, and uh, um, they're kind of fading. And look what look what the writer says in verse eleven. Okay, and so, and I want to read this because, I mean, what I'm talking about this morning is kind of weighty. I mean, we're beyond the milk as we're talking about this subject right now. And I think it relates to the church today. A lot of Christians want to just focus on the milk. They just want to focus on the love relationship with God and that God is our friend. God is our buddy. And uh, we don't necessarily have to repent of our sin. God just accepts us for the way we are. And that's ludicrous. Look what the author says in 5.11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the and the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Church, we need to grow up in our faith. We need to understand who Jesus is and that he is there for you as if you will just trust in him. Why is Jesus qualified to be our great high priest? If you read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, um, there are three qualifications for Jesus being our priest after the order of Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 14. Number one, the candidate must be God. Okay? And there's only three possibilities. Jesus is one of those possibilities. Jesus is God. So he qualifies as a high priest because he's God. He must have become human. There is only one person in the Trinity who took on flesh. That was Jesus. And so Jesus qualifies. He was the perfect human, and we're going to get in that in just a moment. And then the third qualification to be a high priest, he needed on the job training. He needed on the job experience. And in Hebrews chapter 5, we learn, we see that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And so Jesus is qualified. And so we need to learn this, church, and be confident about this and grow in this grace and knowledge. Now, again, as I said, great persecution was taking place, but Jesus is that perfect high priest, and he understands our frailties, and the reason why he can understand is because he was a man himself. He was both God and man. He was the, both the perfect God and the perfect man. Now, there's a lot of temptation going on today. That um, about The temptation that Jesus went through. But understand that Jesus' temptation was different from our temptation. Jesus didn't have this internal pull to say yes to temptation. Okay? He was God. He was tempted. But understand about Jesus, Jesus could not sin. He didn't have a sin nature like you and I. He may have been tempted by sin, but he wasn't pulled into this temptation. He, could, he couldn't he could sin. Jesus never sinned. And never will Jesus be able to sin because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is God. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, when he lived as a man... He never went through the temptation to undress a woman in his mind. Because Jesus said, if you undress a woman in your mind, that's sin. And Jesus couldn't go there. Jesus didn't go there. He will never go there because he is the perfect man. Jesus never lied. Jesus was never, never thought about lying. Was He tempted to lie? Yeah. But He never had the thought to follow through with that lie. He never coveted His neighbor's possessions. He never thought about dishonoring His parents. He never thought about taking His Father's name in vain. He never thought about saying a cuss word. You know what? There's a lot of deconstructing going on about Jesus today. That Jesus went through every single temptation that we go through. He had these thoughts, but he didn't sin. Friend, if he had the thoughts, he would have sinned. He was perfect. Well, then, how does Jesus understand my temptation? Jesus understands the effects of that temptation. Jesus went through the suffering of those temptations. Jesus in the garden about to be crucified was on his knees shedding drops of sweaty blood for the things that he was about to face. And he had an enemy in that garden who was trying to convince them that there was a better way he knew that there wasn't a better way. And it wasn't my will be done, but yours be done, Father. Jesus understands the pain and suffering of temptation. But he never had the thought to follow through with it. But we live in a day and age where we are emphasizing... Jesus' humanity and de-emphasizing His divinity. And that is dangerous. Jesus was both God and man. The perfect man. Who sympathizes? Who sympathizes with what you're going through? He overcame it all. He's the sovereign king. He knows in every detail that's going on in your life. God is behind it. He is the God of calamity. We looked at that last week. But God is using the calamity for your good and your glory. Some of you know some pain that you've been through. And as hard as that was, you look back on it and you say, I'm glad I went through it. Because it made me a better person, it made me stronger in this area. I was talking to Judy yesterday. She lost her husband. Yesterday was four months. since you've lost Bob? That was painful. Still painful. But you know what? God has used this loss in her life to be a blessing to other women who have recently lost their husbands and as much As she would have preferred to have avoided that from from the beginning. God is using that in her life. And we can take, we could go on for hours in this place and give testimony of how God has used pain to bring us closer, closer to Him. He is the perfect God man, church. Who understands what we're going through? Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 10 says During his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his devotion. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And by being perfected in this way, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he was designated by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 9. And by being perfected in this way, are you saying, pastor, or is the author of Hebrews saying that Jesus wasn't perfect? No, he was perfect. But it was but it was through the suffering that our High Priest was complete in what you and I are going through. He's able to identify with our pain and our suffering and our cries and our tears because He's been there. He's been through it Himself. So, Jesus is qualified according to Hebrews chapter 5. And then we see in Hebrews chapter 7, as the author is continuing to look at Genesis chapter 14, that uh, Melchizedek, for his titles, foreshadow Christ's character. Okay, Look at verses 1 through 3. Chapter 7, 1 through 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abram apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. That is, king of peace. So Melchizedek is king. Melchizedek's name means righteousness. And he also happens to be king of Salem. And Salem means peace. And so here's this man in Genesis chapter 3. He's the king of righteousness. And he is the king of peace. And this is a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek foreshadows Christ's uh, character, both the man of peace and the man of righteousness and a king. And if you look at verses 4 through th- four through 10, of Genesis or of Hebrews chapter seven, and I don't have time to read it for you this morning. I encourage you to read Hebrews seven as well. But uh, we see in verses four through ten that because Melchizedek was appointed priest by God in verse four, verse one, before Aaron's priesthood and Levites. Okay, so the the law isn't going to come into effect until. The Book of Exodus, and Aaron's going to be appointed priest, and and his descendants are going to be the Levites, and they're going to be the priest of uh, of Israel. Well, Melchizedek is before that, and it is God who has appointed Melchizedek as priest. And um, because there's no genealogy, there's no birth, there there's no time where we know he was born. Or when he died, we don't know how old Melchizedek was in in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, We just uh, see that this type is the idea that Melchizedek is a priest forever. For, see, if you were a Levite and a priest, you had term limits. But in Genesis 14, there's no beginning. There's no end before the uh, the the covenant, the Old Testament covenant, and it's like he is a priest forever. Now, he's king of Salem. He's an historical figure. He's a man. He's not the priest forever, but he's a type. Jesus is the priest forever, but this is whom God is using in Genesis 14. Um, Jesus didn't come from the the Levites. Jesus is our high priest, but he doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah, as the author says in verses 13 and 14, just like Melchizedek did not come from the tribe of the Levites. God made Jesus priest in verse 21, just like he made Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Jesus holds the priesthood permanently in verses 23 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 7. And in verse 28, Jesus is made perfect forever. Okay? He's already perfect, but because of the pain and the suffering he went through, that perfection was completed. So Melchizedek is merely a photograph of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the real deal. And we're coming close to the end here now. If you go back to Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek offered Abram both bread and wine. And yet Jesus Christ our great high priest, Jesus became our bread and our wine. He gave all of himself to us on the cross that our sin might be forgiven. Jesus became the perfect and final sacrifice. As we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is superior to every sacrifice of the Old Testament. Jesus was the final sacrifice. He's superior to the Levites. He's superior to Aaron, um, Moses. Jesus gave us access to God. You know, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had to rely on the priest. And one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. He would first have to make atonement for himself. He would have to make a, a sacrifice on his own behalf because he was a fallen man. But then in his cleanness, he would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement um, for the people of God. But in Jesus Christ, that was all torn down. The Bible says when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he said, it is finished. God took the curtain... That, that covered the Holy of Holies and ripped it from top to bottom, symbolizing, communicating to you and I that we have direct access to God through the person of Jesus Christ, our perfect and sympathetic high priest. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And um, as I share these last two passages, church, we are preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper that we're about to take this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened, us for, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Church, we've got to grow in these things. Because when life throws us a curveball that we weren't anticipating, if we know Jesus, if we know the Word, and have that strong foundation, we're not going to drift. We're not going to Turn our back on God. We'll be able to face whatever's before us because we have a great high priest who is sustaining us, who is holding us, who is keeping us, who is there, who is sympathetic, who's understand, who is king, sovereign, who is over every single detail of this event. Think of the people of Ukraine right now. The followers of Christ and all that they're facing, their life has been turned upside down. But if they know these things, they can be a testimony to others. They know that God is there. Even if God takes them home, man cannot touch a single hair on their head. Do you know that, Jesus? Jesus wants you to know Him in this way. And so as we prepare our hearts for the supper this morning, as we eat the bread, as we drink of the cup, we remember His suffering that He went through for us. And he understands. He sympathizes. He's been there. Worship team, would you come, please? And I'm gonna lead us in prayer. And we're gonna sing this sing this song of invitation as we prepare our hearts, the wonderful cross. If you're going through it this morning. Worship him. Cry out to him. It's okay to have tears. Know that he is there. He's walking with you through it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for church and reminding us of these things. God, you are king you are our righteousness you are our peace you are our comforter you are great you are our mediator you are here you are the lamb of God you gave all of yourself our sin that our sin might be forgiven that we could be with you for all eternity God grow us in these things grow me in these things but we want to worship you and say thank you this morning for your great sacrifice God, you know the weaknesses, the frailty, the hard times that people are going through in this service. Minister your grace, your peace, your comfort as their priest. Thank you, Jesus, for this time of worship. Would you stand with me, please?